My name is Sibylin, if you can say. In July, I'll go down on you. Okay, waves are good. Journey Through the Deck Cast, where I'm your editor, Sybil. And I'm Chris. And this week we are going to cover Godzilla vs. Kong, but strike that, reverse it, King Kong vs. Godzilla. From not the year of 2021, but the far back 1963. Yes, uh, back when... Uh... Unlike uh, how we think of it now, maybe, uh, King Kong was vastly more popular than Godzilla as a character at the time. Both in his native USA and in Japan, from my understanding. Yep. You know, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood carried that magic. Yeah, I mean, the original King Kong's a good movie, you know. And, uh, from my understanding, uh, enjoying it a lot was part of what got Tsuburaya into what he was doing in the first place. Yes. Which version of this did you watch? Uh, well, uh, actually, uh, I, this is one I had in my VHS rotation as a kid. That version was obviously the American dub. Um, got it. Today, for this rewatch, I went and found a subtitled version of the Japanese version that's on archive.org. Uh, hmm. Though, um, as we'll probably go over a bit, the picture quality is pretty inconsistent. Apparently, that's been like a long-running thing with preservation of this movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, in terms of uh, like differences between the American and Japanese version, from my understanding, and with just my memory, I didn't have time to redo the dub, but the... Uh, the Japanese version is slightly more comedic in general. Yep. Um, and it's, it's a little bit weird because I do remember like several of the sequences in the movie, like the bit where they, they uh, start singing to the, the thunderclouds and stuff. Like I remember that being much more horror themed <clears throat> in the American dub version, but also that's kind of the difference between watching it as a kid and watching it as an adult, you know? And this is before we got into full the Godzilla movies are for children era, but it's very different uh, tone-wise between American and Japanese. Right, right. The plot is not actually different, really. No, no, the plot's the same. It's just all in the presentation. The Japanese version, the primary difference... From my understanding and from what I saw is that it focuses a lot more on this satirical angle that Honda wanted to go for of it's like it's this joke about how how, how ludicrously out of hand TV advertising had gotten in Japan at the time. Yep. Uh, I'll steal a few things from the Criterion Collection's essay on the movie in the large book in front of me. To celebrate their 30th anniversary in 1962, Toho Studios produced a slate of high-profile films, including multiple sequels. Akira Kurosawa's Sanjuro, a sequel to the director's highly influential The Yojimbo, Hiroshi Inagaki's Chusingura, an epic all-star retelling of the 47 Ronin, and its newest monster film, King Kong vs. Godzilla, released internationally in 1963. It had been eight years since the release of the original Godzilla, and seven since the last film, and they had experimented with and expanded the Kaiju Ega formula, introducing new creatures and hits such as Rodan, the Mysterians, Varan the Unbelievable, and Mothra. Having acquired the rights to use King Kong from American producer John Beck, who made the deal without the knowledge of Kong's creator, Willis O'Brien, 
Toho right. decided that Godzilla would make an exciting adversary for the giant ape, thus reviving the monster from its cinematic slumber. And we'll have to go into this a little bit, <clears throat> because apparently the script used for this movie was originally going to feature King Kong fighting a Frankenstein or something, and mm-hmm. presumably that's where all the lightning stuff in the movie comes from. Yes, because uh, this is actually a film that is cited a lot uh, in the lead-up to the modern Godzilla vs. Kong. I remember a lot of people arguing, why would you pit those two against each other? Their scale is so different, and one of them is a radioactive killing machine, and the other is a big ape. Right. <laughs> I, I do want to stop for just a second to uh, make a little bit of a joke about exactly how many times I have heard the phrase, an all-star retelling of the 47 Ronin. I feel like I've heard that at least two dozen times. Yep. For what it's worth, Chushingura, worth watching. I, di- I want to see... Didn't Mike did like a version a couple years ago that I wanted to catch, but I just haven't had the chance yet. Was that the um, Keanu Reeves one? Possibly? I don't remember off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. That one was underwhelming. I didn't... I don't think that was Mike, but, you know, that guy's had a very up-and-down film career at this point. I mean, you know, <laughs> when you're, like, possibly the most prolific filmmaker in the world, you're allowed a few misses, I suppose. That's a terrifying thought that Takashi Miike is the most prolific filmmaker in the world. And yet... I, uh, I mean, uh, Hitchcock's uh, bio claims that he made over 50 movies, and he's one of the most prolific American filmmakers ever. Uh, Miike has made well over 100 at this point. <laughs> That's true, but I'm also thinking of directors like a Roger Corman and the real schlock factory men. True, true. Though I don't know if everything they do counts as, like, feature films, but... That's true. I suppose that's also going to be part of where you get that from. Right, but... Okay, so back to the weird story of the back... The, the backstory of the production of this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Uh, one film that we mentioned in there was uh, The Mysterians. Are you familiar with that one? I think I vaguely have an idea about this one. Uh, isn't Doesn't that one have like a pretty similar plot to Destroy All Monsters, where there's like some aliens that threaten to destroy the world, and then they're defeated by their own hubris or something? Or am I getting this mixed up with another movie? Uh, it's possible you saw an international cut that did something with that, but... It was a film wherein we discover a weird uh, asteroid out in space between Mars and Jupiter that appears to be the ruins of another planet. While we're finding this out, an alien robot drops down. Earth weapons can do nothing against it. We collapse a bridge and the landing destroys it. And then after that, aliens come down in a dome and go, Hey... We would like two miles of land on your Earth and some of your women to breed with because our planet destroyed itself with nuclear war and just being able to, you know, have a little bit of fresh genetic data that's not consumed by strontium-90 would do a lot for our species. And Uh, so... So like a sexier version of the Day the Earth Said Cell. Yeah, except then we immediately go... Uh, how about we not, especially after you sent that robot at us? And so, the world teams up to attack them, it takes multiple times, and eventually they develop a very Godzilla-like weapon, the Flying Atomic Heat Projector, which is a lens that can reflect their own weaponry against them. And we all come together as a species to push them away, to save our women, but some get away outside the range of our weapons, and we realize we've got to be vigilant and watch the stars. This sounds like one of those movies that's a thinly veiled metaphor for Russia or something. Yeah. I mention this especially because part of why the American cut of King Kong vs. Godzilla had such a different tone is they spliced in a lot of footage from the Mysterians to give it 
a more sci-fi feel, since the frame device for the American cut was that news broadcasts were covering all of this, and this was, oh no, look what's going down. Yeah, in the Japanese version, there is kind of like this weird little tonal thing of like, just Kong is like a creature that's like symbiotic with thunderclouds and like the earth in a way that isn't really explained or explored at all but um that's kind of like the weirdest thing in the movie kind of in the japanese version yeah it's it's gotten incredibly you know nature versus the unnatural radioactive creature godzilla but also there's you know more uh, the last time we did one of these we were talking about hey there's themes of colonialism and encroaching on territories of natives and Whoops, we're stealing right. Kong off an island where he just lives in peace with the villagers who just... Yeah, they calm the guy down with a bunch of berry juice that makes him drunk, and they <laughs> praise him, and he just naps. And he protects them from octopus attacks that are apparently a going concern for them. You know, when, when the oceans are creating a Godzilla, I suppose it's not unnatural that you might also get a few squids. <laughs> Uh, I saw a uh, thing that, uh, okay, on on the weird Frankenstein connections thing, the the um, fighting the octopus sequence in this was so influential that they made like a whole nother movie to do it again. Uh, this would be Frankenstein versus Baragon. Are you familiar with that one at all? I am not. Uh, th that was what eventually... The sequel to that was released in Western Territories as War of the Gargantuas. Huh. Uh, and was, like, about two Frankensteins fighting each other. But apparently in the original Japanese one, they, like, the, mo the, the plot of the movie gets to the end, and then, like, he, he, fight he beats Baragon, and then... The producer insisted that then a octopus had to like drop out of the sky and fight him out of nowhere just because he really, really wanted to recreate the octopus fight sequence from Kong vs. Godzilla. But uh, it didn't make any sense in the plot, so they just had an earthquake happen and him fall into a big hole. <laughs> and that was like the edited ending of the movie in international territories. You know what? I've heard worse ways to just shove an octopus into things. Yeah, I mean, you know. Really, the, the octopus attack sequence is pretty great. Like, it's it does look really good. All the effects in this look pretty good. Uh, it's Subaraya at his peak. Uh, if you don't know, Eiji Subaraya, guy who went on to found Subaraya Productions, does a lot of tokusatsu stunt work and special effects in Japanese films. The Ultraman license is theirs, etc., etc. Right. I think we went over this. We went over this on our one previous episode of Showa I Godzilla. So. I just wanted to get whatever a quick we're calling these overview. Right. Um hmm. Yeah, I did I did notice that everything I looked at uh that had trivia for the movie, they all feature the same note that seems maybe suspiciously can like, it's just a, a little weird that it's the same everywhere, but I guess it's believable. They used four octopuses to shoot the octopus sequences. Three of them were released back into the wild, and one of them, Subaraya, ate for dinner. That does sound very Subaraya. Yeah, yeah. Maybe plausible. I mean, you know. I've had octopus before. It's not bad. It is tasty. On the other hand, they are super smart, and I do feel kind of weird about that, but, you know, hey. We should probably cover the sort of minimal plot of this one, just because I'm sure a little of the discussion is confusing people who have not seen the movie. A Japanese television company who is in partnership with Pacific Pharmaceuticals, their sponsor, wants to boost their ratings. So, <laughs> on Faro Island nearby... There is this thing called uh, a King Kong. And they go, we should grab that and bring it to Japan and put it up on a stage on a show and we will have all of the ratings. And this probably sounds familiar. If you know where King Kong went, I'm going to spoil it for you. 
Kong also climbs a tower in the middle of Japan <laughs> with a woman in hand. Right. Yes, uh, I've often joked that this movie features a speed run of the plot of King Kong. It does. And accidentally, an American submarine wakes up Godzilla because, you know, whatever. But that's how they explain why this guy hasn't been seen in almost a decade. Oops, he was frozen. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of stuff toward the uh, toward the end about how like, uh, well, G- Godzilla's reawakening was really inevitable. We could never really put off this problem forever, and we knew that. And I'm like, the the American sub crashed into the glacier he was in. He seemed to be pretty asleep until that. <laughs> Are we just gonna let them off the hook for <laughs> just crashing a nuclear sub into very? stupidly apparently <laughs> i don't know why they did that to be fair but uh do does anyone but the americans know about the sub by the end of the film because they all die oh uh, yeah they they uh i thought they said that the sub went missing or something it's in like one of the the news flashes at one point it's possible i'm i'm just trying to recall there's been a lot of research and i can't recall where every plot thread lands <laughs> that would be interesting actually if they if they intended it to be that no one knew about the sub but I don't think that's the case I think people knew and they just don't bring it up hmm that's fair it's also the 60s and the Japanese relationship with the American military was rather different at the time right uh yeah on on my research for this one you know I've I turned up a lot of the stuff we talked about but Often one of the explanations I heard for this film before now were that, uh, which, now that I'm seeing a little bit about what Honda intended for it originally, seems like weird, backwards, like, retcon readings, but I've heard it, uh, people speculate that in this movie is intended to be about the conflict between the U.S. and Russia during the period, and how Japan felt, like, helpless during that, and... Like, the idea is is that Godzilla kind of represents U.S. power and King Kong represents Russian power in, like, the South Pacific and stuff. Uh, Now that I've done a little more research, this seems like a weird retcon reading for the film, but, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. However, if we take on the other famous national uh, prophet of military politics in Japan, Hideo Kojima... You can also point out that he had another Russian who got charged up by being struck by electricity in oh, the 60s. Shit. <laughs> yeah, that would... So, you know, why not? Yeah, Colonel Volgan. <laughs> I also remember when Snake had an atomic heat ray. Uh, you know, don't they actually reference Kong versus Godzilla in Snake Eater? Yes. That might have been totally intentional now that you mention it. It, it is an incredibly silly thing, but yeah, pretty sure that's... I mean, just because something's incredibly silly, that does, that just makes it more likely that it's the case when it comes to Kojima. It's true. So, um, the film is very different between the two localizations. As we mentioned, uh, this is a satire for the first half in Japan, and it's portrayed deadly serious the whole time in English. And yeah. uh, I, I guess, uh, just personal opinion, I kind of didn't like this one quite as much as Mothra, the Godzilla versus Mothra. I guess it's just because that one's a drama and this one's a comedy. But I don't know. I just thought that one worked a little better. I could see that. This is also before a lot of the conventions of these films were locked down. They were still it's true. It's throwing true. everything at the wall. Yeah, like, this is still a very fun movie. Uh, honestly, the like the central character of the pharmaceutical executive, uh, Rachel joked that he's Japanese J. Jonah Jameson, was, yeah. uh, like, he's really quite fun. Like, he's, he's a, the actor playing him is a ton of fun, and he does just a great job throughout this movie. Ichiro Arashima, who was known as the Japanese chaplain. Really? Yep. That is an... A fun comparison. <laughs> I didn't realize he was like a known actor. 
I mean, it's one of those things that's like, how am I going to know Japanese actors that released movies in 1962? Again, I have a giant Criterion volume in front of me, which helps <laughs> I mean, with this. Yeah, that is exactly what those Criterion releases are for. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very interesting to see that the parody nature is just like, this is what the pursuit of ratings will do to us, instead of this is a crisis on a national scale that we are tracking from overseas. We cannot get on the ground in place of this. Oh my god. The horror. And uh, the Mysterians footage is used in the climax to really up the damage of all the things that are going on. Because the battle... You know, you see some, you see some buildings, but mostly they're fighting in a quarry, and they're doing a lot of wrestling moves. Yeah, I read I read the thing that um apparently the a lot of the the choreography for the uh suit mission seek fights between the monsters was left up to the actors, the their suit actors for the large part. And I guess they, they worked on this a lot together and decided that they both decided together that they would uh use some wrestling stuff for the movie as a good way of portraying these characters. And it was uh an interesting style, especially because it also meant that they could do the very revived-by-the-crowd chanting move of Kong <laughs> just gets struck by lightning in the final act, and that's how he gets up from defeat to take out Godzilla. Yeah, because Godzilla's just trashing him up until that point. <laughs> yup. But yeah, like, he gets shocked by lightning, and from that point on, like, he has electric fingers, and he's just way stronger. But yeah, they, they do a lot of uh, standing on opposite cliffs and taunting each other. There's, a, there's, like, some pretty funny sequences, like, the first time they meet. Like, Godzilla uses his fire breath to, like, set some stuff near Kong on fire. And Kong's like, well, shit, I don't know what to do about that. And he just walks away. <laughs> Uh, there's at least one part where uh, Godzilla, rather than take him on directly, just starts setting a bunch of fires around him to try and smoke him to death. Yeah, which is like, hey, of course. <laughs> nice yeah. move. Uh, I think this is pretty much the same Godzilla costume overall that they used for the next movie, Godzilla vs. Mothra, but the face looks a lot more villainous than the one they used in Mothra. Like, the the eyes are a lot, like, scarier looking than... Uh, I think they made him a bit googlier for the next movie. And the um, Kong suit is different from what you saw before. It's not quite uh, as uh, O'Brien's raging letter talked about. Uh, I believe they stooped so low as to use a man in a gorilla suit, which I have spoken against so often. And, you know, he later found out that uh, he did not own the rights to King Kong, making this one of many, many successive failures of anyone thinking that they've got a airtight legal case with King Kong and just getting wrecked for people it. People really do like starting fights with Japanese people about who owns King Kong, huh? Yep. <laughs> if you are unaware, this is how Donkey Kong uh, exists. Right. <laughs> So, uh, I, the Kong, the Kong suit in this movie is actually, I like it a lot. It's like got this really grotesque looking face that I think is just kind of endearing in a weird, like, it's very gross, but also just funny. Uh, yeah. the main problem with the suit in my, in just personal opinion is that there's, they've got two sets of arms for the thing. One during a lot of sequences where he's just walking around, they have these long-ish arms that are kind of supposed to look more realistically gorilla-ish. I don't think those ever, like, super work on screen. When they just have the actor, like, use his regular arms to, like, do stuff with his hands, I... Like, it does make Kong look like this stocky bruiser character, but I just think it works better on the camera. And part of that is that... The studio wanted the monsters to be as goofy as possible. 
and the onset crew were fighting with them about that at different times, and that probably explains some of this. Probably, yeah. But, you know, it turns out that the crew on this movie would lose out as they did just start pushing these towards a lot more anthropomorphized, silly mascot-like antics from the characters in future movies. Right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit last time we did one of these, where, like, there was clearly, like, either Honda, like, got over this tension quickly or just learned to incorporate it into the way he made the movies quickly. Because, like, he, he... he doesn't, like, lean totally out of them being, like, these horrifying natural forces, but also he's pretty willing to cater to them being a little bit silly. Uh, from memory, that's why Honda actually leaves the films for a while. Oh, because he was starting to have a hard time walking that line? Yeah, he was not the fan of that, and I think he steps off for three or four of these. Let me check. Yeah, after... Ebira, uh, Honda is off until Destroy All Monsters. Okay, and that's, I think, after Ebira. What's that? Is what? What's next after Ebira? All Monsters Attack, which is Honda, and then after that it goes to a new guy for Hidera. Jigon goes back to Jun Fukuda, and I don't think Honda comes back in the Showa era. No, he does right. for Terror of Mechagodzilla, the final one. Right, yeah, the last Showa one. But yeah, this is exactly why Honda was not a fan of making the monsters comedic. He wanted to do things which would strike fear into children, not you should be clapping along with and dancing when Godzilla does. I don't know, it does seem, it seems a little weird, just considering what these movies end up like, that he had such a hard time with it, but... I don't know. He was either extremely good at taking direction, even if he didn't like it, or, you know, his feelings about it were more complex than we have it written down as being. He he had his stance, and after a certain point, he realized, I don't have to do this every time. It's true. I mean, you know, he, he had made a lot of success for Toho at a certain point, so he probably just didn't really need to put up with anyone at a certain point. And I'm actually curious if I look the man up. How many films will he have done outside of Godzilla? Yeah, he he was working pretty steadily between things. And in fact, he did a few King Kongs there. Uh, King Kong Escapes. Wait, he directed King Kong Escapes? Huh. Yep. Okay. I Which... think that was the... Wasn't that the one that was... The sequel to that was going to be the Mechanicong one, but that didn't end up getting made. Let's find out. Because that's the one that has Mechanicong. Oh, that is the one that has Mechanicong. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I know they were going to revive the Mechanicong concept for the Heisei series, and that movie ended up becoming Mechagodzilla <laughs> 2, because they were tired of fighting over right stuff. And I'm noticing that Terror of Mechagodzilla appears to be the last film he directed. He became advisor or coordinator on anything since, and did work until 1993. 1983? 93. 93. Yeah. I mean, that's a a long career, man. (laughs) It is. My dude started out in 34 as an assistant director, so let's put that in perspective. Yeah, Before a war. Yeah, that is a uh, that is a lifetime's worth of work. It turns out when you are forty years into your career, you get to have some strong opinions about how the monsters are portrayed. <laughs> Which you know, to be fair, he is entitled to. The original Godzilla, you'll often like. I mean, it pops up on those hundred best films of all time list. Which, I'm also Pretty noticing regular. everything mm-hmm. he did after uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla, with the exception of one thing where he was an actor, were all productions by Akira Kurosawa, so that's probably what pulled him out of retirement for those. Oh, oh yeah. 
Yeah, because Kurosawa was like a national hero after a certain point, from my understanding. Ooh, yeah. Okay, so uh, further in the plot of the actual uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong movie, um, so after they uh, the pharmaceutical executive uh, finds out that King Kong exists, we go to, like, the two characters that are, like, kind of the main characters of the movie they're these <laughs> i'm actually a little unclear on what their jobs actually are but they seem like assistants to this pharmaceutical executive who they're he's just, just like <laughs> yeah they're just his gophers who he's like go fetch king kong for me yep and they are i don't know if they have a career as such but they are described as a manzai duo in the criterion notes that makes a lot of sense, yeah. There's definitely one of them that is the, the cool one, and one of them that is the, the funny one. Oh, yeah, I guess I don't actually know if that's just describing their characters in the movie, or if they were a Manzai duo outside yeah. of the movie. Uh, as far as I can see, they were not prior to this. After this movie, the pair of them were in several comedies. That, yeah, because this was a hugely successful film. I think we mentioned, I forget if we said that before the, we started recording or not, but, like, it sold the most tickets of any Godzilla movie ever. And it's still one of the biggest uh, adjusted for inflation, as well as this is the one that kickstarted Godzilla and turned him into a regularly used film character. Reminder, right. before this, we'd left the guy on ice for seven years. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally on ice. Uh, them, the yeah. American sub breaking him out of the iceberg is in continuity with Godzilla Raids <laughs> Again. But yeah, uh, it looks like uh, Takashima and Fujiki became a duo together for years after this. Wait a minute. Okay, hold on. <laughs> I was just cl I was just scrubbing through some of the movie again, and I got to the bit where the guy like uses the heavy uses the strong string to like hang himself outside the window a little bit and freak out the other guy. That doesn't come back into the plot at all. That's no, it's like, just it's just screwing around. It's 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 Chekhov's Chekhov's string that just doesn't come back at all. <laughs> How does that not play into the plot again? What the hell? Because it's funny. I mean, it is kind of funny, yeah. If you gave me a string that would let me dangle outside of our building and just screw with people on higher floors, I would take it. I would not, because I am terrified of heights, but I respect that you would. My building is only three stories tall. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, there's also a bunch of weird... Uh, this is the second one in a row with a bunch of weird tribal stuff. That I don't really want to talk about. <laughs> Tokusatsu has a long and complicated history with racial representation, and I'm not just saying that because we're striking out yet again in the Reiwa era on Kamen Rider. Oh, oh no. What happened? Uh, one of the voice actors for the suits in this next series is known for doing blackface, like, a year ago. Oh... Oh no. Yep. That's, <laughs> yep. that's not good. <laughs> Revice oh, no. is starting on a great note. <laughs> well, great. Guess we'll see where that goes. Okay. Uh I I feel like this is a little maybe less I don't I don't know. I think oh, it's This is definitely not blackface racist. No, I, w I was going to compare it to what happens in Godzilla versus Mothra rather than the current thing. Yeah. It's not blackface racist, but also it's less like... Like, we have this this tribalized depiction of this culture that worships King Kong. Um, it's less, like, about them as people than what we see in Godzilla versus Mothra. So I'm going to give the director credit that he probably felt a little bit like he wanted to explore that angle a little bit more in his next movie, too. So, yeah. You know. It comes up later, but right now we're just using them to get Kong into the plot. Right. The song they sing to, like, worship and revive Kong, I, I have, like, a really strong mental impression of this song from when I was a kid. That makes sense. I still think of uh, a lot of bizarre 
Japanese monster movie stuff from watching these as a child. <laughs> uh, apparently this was the first Godzilla movie that was in color and widescreen, too. In addition to being his, uh, when he attacks the base immediately after getting out of the iceberg, being the first appearance of the Godzilla theme. The best piece of movie music ever, with the possible exception of the Superman theme. That's just personal opinion. <laughs> I'd go with the Terminator theme myself. Uh, that is also a really good one. That's that's a good choice. Yeah. I guess while we're talking about how iconic this is, and, you know, this was one of the first ones in color and doing all that, uh, this is one of the worst preserved. Yeah, the film quality on goes pretty much all over the place on any copy you're going to find. Even on my Criterion Blu-rays. Yeah, and if Criterion can't find a better one, then you know that it's pretty much, like, it, it isn't out there. Yeah, uh, the rough story is that for years we thought the only original uncut version of it was a heavily damaged 16mm print that they had made rental copies from. Uh, they spliced that over the stuff that was on the 35 millimeter version we had from uh, the Champion Pictures International Cut. So it's really clear where everything changes at times. And the most recent restoration is from 2016, a completely 35 millimeter sourced version of the film that still uses some deleted stuff in places and it's like oh this got grainy yeah it's uh like it's a fun movie visually but yeah certainly it is it is sad to see what lack of preservation can do to a movie just one of those reminders that uh piracy is important <laughs> hey someday we're gonna find out that robert mugabe had all of those remaining doctor who episodes or something <laughs> someday someday that's probably not true. Uh, let me see. Is there Have any... we mentioned that Subaraya recycled a lot of the effects and props from this for Ultra Q to get it off the ground? Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because Ultra Q was like an anthology series, right? So yep. Ultraman was the, the long-running thing that came out of it, but I'm assuming some of the other episodes were about stuff that this that footage from this could go in. Uh, they used whole suits. The King Kong suit was a monster in the first few episodes. The octopus appeared multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course they're going to reuse that octopus footage. Like, that's, like, that is grade A stuff. Like, you can't not reuse it. And it's also an easy way to prevent having to do a full set of effect shots every week for television. Right, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of sequences in this movie where Godzilla and King Kong throw boulders back and forth at each other. <laughs> that was one that Honda specifically called out that he hated. It is a little bit silly, honestly. The studio wanted that in there to make it look like, you know, a game of catch or something that was more comedic than, you know, two kaiju monsters drag out wrestling to the death. All the sequences where they, like, uh, like pose at each other and yell are kind of better than the rock throwing, so they probably should have just done a little more of that. The studio gets what they want in some way when they have the notes. They are paying the bills. I really like the sequence with the, uh, the dynamite on the raft. Um, the, well, they're transporting King Kong back to Japan. They have him on a... He, well, he fell asleep because he drank berry juice. And they somehow dragged him onto a raft, I guess. They put a bunch of dynamite on the raft and uh, hook it up to a detonator. And, like, I am unclear why they think that this is enough dynamite to destroy King Kong. You don't have to destroy him. You just have to open up enough of a wound he dies at sea. Okay, I guess that's fair. Yeah, if they, like, blew a leg off, he would probably be dead. But Yeah. yeah. There's a bunch of, like, funny stuff where the... When the, uh... The pharmaceutical executive comes onto the boat and he's like, you can't blow up our sponsor. <laughs> and uh, 
he like walks over to the back of the raft and like leans on the detonator and the guys are like fucking whoa quit it <laughs> and he's like ah it's uh the the chaplain thing is such a good description because like his physical his physical comedy in that sequence is so it's so much like that that silent film acting the ceo is going over the top every time he appears it's great right it's why he's the most memorable character in the movie really and yeah i i could not tell you any other there's a couple of jsdf yeah sure why not mooks but i couldn't really give you anything they do other than occasionally having some dialogue and deciding ah this is the next plan of action let's shoot godzilla okay that didn't work let's shot godzilla okay let's just let them punch each other that's pretty much all everyone else does Let's let's airlift King Kong in here and try that. <laughs> and ski ball King <clears throat> Kong into Godzilla. Which hey, it's not the worst attempt. Yeah, I mean it's they 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 get him, you know, he slides into Godzilla. It's a good shot. <sighs> and we're not even at the point of sliding on tails yet. <laughs> The sequence where the lady who is um, the gopher's sister and the other gopher's boyfriend is, like, running away from Godzilla through a river. What the hell is going on there? From memory, that is the last time they're really using the humans in anything because they just needed a way to go, here's how we get them out. We... Throw a bunch of buried drunk juice at the monsters, and we're going to just get them out by ground, but we only have the one set. Yeah, because uh, that's the first time Godzilla's in the big like forest-covered mountain set that they use. Which becomes I don't know, the climax. Th- right, right. But that's like a half hour later in the movie. But <laughs> there's just the sequence where with this... Uh, the they were they the damsel in distress sequence with this lady is so weird because like everyone is running away from Godzilla because they were all in a train and the train announces, uh, hey, uh, train canceled due to Godzilla. Please run away, <laughs> which is pretty funny, honestly. But um, she decides to run into the forest instead of along the road, and like trip on a bunch of stuff and fall in a river. I'm unclear why she is so bad at running. Uh, heels. It's mostly just weird, because she looks like she's being attacked by something when just Godzilla's, like, a mile away, and he's yelling. And she's like, oh no, I can't escape. Uh, this is is part of that speedrunning King Kong thing you're talking about, because, again... We have to have her get involved, and captured, and scale a building, and then she can leave the movie. Right, right. Yeah, it's weird that, I mean, it's the same person who gets kidnapped by King Kong later on? I mean, I don't think they even established that it's the same character, but it's clearly intended to be. Yep. And, like, why, why is that happening? (laughs) Why are these monsters after her all the time? You need a lady for a monster to long for. That's how this works. Right. I mean, it is true. Though, um, without the... Without the, like, tension between civilization and, you know, naturalism in the King Kong story, like, it's not... It doesn't really go anywhere. (laughs) They just kind of end that plot line. The speedrun of the King Kong story so that King Kong can fight Godzilla for the last ten minutes. Yeah, it's not the worst way to end your movie. Yeah, I mean, there are worse ways to end a movie, obviously. But yeah, the balloon thing. The ending of uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the bit where they have the actor, like, ride around in the balloons is pretty funny looking. Honestly, I think any time you have balloons involved, it rules. Okay, yeah. Balloons and kaiju are kind of amazing. Yeah. Bring back balloons and kaiju movies. Give me a Zeppelin in the next Godzilla. 
The legendary movies have them be too big for balloons to work. Which is lame. Have some smaller kaiju so we can get balloons again. Give me John C. Riley nervously trying to attach a balloon to King Kong. <laughs> Singular Point has a bunch of smaller kaiju. I'm like nearing the end of the first season of that that has been a really interesting show so far but i, I don't know. need to dig more into it it is super different than the other two recent attempts to revive godzilla uh i, I mean, hear it's the one i would love the most i mean do, do you like like weird hard sci-fi physics stuff about like time loops and monism I'm playing Xenosaga. Okay, <laughs> so probably yes, then. Yeah. <clears throat> also, poor Garrett. He has to record on that with us next week. Oh, I was so sad. Wait, which it's game are you guys on? Two. Oh, that's the one that everyone says is bad. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't done an HD re-release or anything of all three. <clears throat> Uh, the big reason is that they changed art direction and mechanics in every single game. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, there's no easy way to do a clean remaster of them. They all play in a completely different engine. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. you'd have to put three different engines on the same disc? Yeah, you'd have to recreate all of that. You can't share any assets between the games... It, it'd be a tremendous mess. And that's not counting the fact that there are two different dub studios involved. They changed that after the first game. Um, wow. It, that is a mess. Xenosaga is cursed in every conceivable way. I was, uh, did you see that post that was going around about how, like, the, uh, the legacy of the Final Fantasy development uh, teams and... How, like, the elements of the Xenogears team ended up in what's working on FF14 currently? At least I think that's how it was. I mean, I can believe that. And, uh, I'm okay with that. Oh, no, no. Oh, here it was. It was the Chrono Cross team that ended up working on FF14, and now they're the team that's doing FF16. That makes more sense. After having incorporated parts of the FF12 team. Because, yeah, I was pretty sure most of the Xenogears staff left to become Monolith Soft, and now they're just... Uh, Nintendo's bitches doing Breath of the Wilds. I literally got Chrono Cross and Xenogears mixed up because of the cross thing. Uh, well, <laughs> here's how you tell them apart. One of them is crossing universes, the other is crucifying everyone. Yeah, I've heard so many weird stories about Xenogears. <laughs> I need to like, make time for it sometime. Xenogears is the subtle one. It's just those monoliths, uh, like, it, once they hit Xenoblade, they finally were at a point where they could, I guess, start re-releasing games. But, like, all the older stuff is just, you have to have that old hardware to play it still. Well, I think you can get Xenogears on, uh, online now, so... Yeah, it was on at least that. one PSN release. Yeah, I think it's still on PSN. Saga will probably never come out again. It's just too much of a mess. Those, uh, that, that PS2 episodic gaming thing has a weird legacy. Hey, we got remasters of the .hack series because they shared an engine. That's true. That's true. I actually, I've, uh, I don't, did they ever re-release the original .hack series? I know they did Roots. Yeah, they did not. Yeah, I didn't think they did the original one. I think there's been talk of them trying to bring that back as a series or franchise, but that was also pre-COVID. Uh, right. Yeah, I think, because I managed to get physical copies of all of them except Quarantine at one point. Which is ironic, because now you're living it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, well, um, I think we've covered just about everything about this movie uh i you didn't really say how you felt about it Sybil. like personal thoughts feelings and what what do you think about king Kong versus godzilla didn't see this one a lot growing up because of that whole it's sort of wrecked thing i saw some bootlegs of it over the years but it's like I, you can't really figure out a lot of what you're watching at times on those 
Right, right. We so, had a VHS version that, like, mostly looked okay, but I think it was the version that had a fair amount of the movie cut out. Yeah, it was the U.S. didn't release. look good. And this is by the time I was in the tape trading games. Like, yeah, I'm going to watch these the original way without any of these horrendous things that cut the Nihongo. Thank you. <laughs> because I was insufferable as a young boy. I mean, hey, you know, we all go through that phase. I yep. mean, at least a lot of weebs do. And now I just buy everything, and if I get a dub with it, that's a bonus. And if it comes with bonus nipples, that's a bonus bonus. <laughs> Welcome to buying the Blu-rays. True, true. I was super happy that I was able to get Violet Evergarden on sale the other day. That doesn't have nipples, but, you know, it is a good show. I've been buying and watching not amazing shows. I forget if you have heard some of the recent purchases I made, which are all filth. Oh, man. I own all of To Love Rue Darkness now. Oh. I own the complete collection of Quasar of Stigmata. Oh, was it? Is, that's the breast milk one, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. And Tulev Rue's the one that's known as being, like, fan service trash among fan service trash. What if Totally Spies was more explicit? Because <laughs> it's just I as have finished. recently a few times been like, when I'm scrolling through anime, I'm like, when I see High School DxD, I'm like, you know... That is substantially better than a lot of the other horny, <laughs> horny like shonen trash I have watched over the past few years. Like, if it is Stratos is awful. Is that the one where the creator died and so it just came to a sudden halt? DxD. Did it? I have no idea. That's High School of the Dead, right? Uh, no. D uh, DxD is the one where like the main character works for like a vampire princess. And it's like, they have chess-themed battles, and he has, like, a dragon arm that's powered by horniness. Okay, I th I'm thinking of High School of the Dead. I thought they were the same show. I didn't realize the guy who did High School of the Dead died. Uh, yeah, left unfinished following Daisuke Sato's death in March 2017. That's sad, but, uh, yeah, I mean... I was willing to... Okay, no, I don't have time to get into that one weird scene in High School of the Dead that totally undercuts the whole premise and ruins the whole show. I mean, maybe it would have been fixed in the manga. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he would have got off the boat. <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel so weird about the, uh, the, the Berserk thing, because, like, I'm like the guy who doesn't actually like Berserk that much, but I don't want to be a dick about it. it. I don't want to be a jerk about it. I know everyone likes it, and he was apparently a cool guy, so I don't want to be a jerk. Look, you can be a cool guy and also bad at your job. <laughs> well, yeah, but, like, everyone else loves Berserk. I'm just the one guy who's like... Aah. I've never seen it, and I never will. I... Hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. Unless you like sex crimes. I mean, I am a Wheel of Time fan. Coming this fall. <laughs> oh, Sybil, how many... <laughs> You're going to extract all of your person into podcasts at some point. No, no, I just meant they're doing that TV adaptation. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were saying you were going to start another podcast project. <laughs> oh, Christ, like, Sybil, no. please save your sanity. <laughs> no, I, are you kidding? As a trans woman examining the Wheel of Time again through a fresh set of eyes would be a nightmare for a single character alone. That's, uh, I don't even know what Wheel of Time is about, so I'm going to just take your word on that one. What if, in the far future, all the religions were real, and magic was divided into two halves that came down to your gender? And the whole thing was meant to be a series on balance and equality and flipping some stereotypes on its head. And it has aged supremely poorly despite best intentions. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
sounds like a sounds like a 20th century story. Yep. <gasps> it's not like horrendous, but who boy anyone coming to it is going to have a lot of caveats. But I'm also <laughs> curious to see what the show does with it cuz I can't believe they're going to do a one to one adaptation. Maybe I'll check it out and find out, but <laughs> I'm I'm certainly concerned now. All I'm saying is your gender determines what part of magic you can use. The male or the female half. Uh, so, so are there... Okay, I know I shouldn't ask this. Are there any gender-fluid characters? No, but... <laughs> Satan can take your soul and put it in a new body if you serve him. And at one point... He does do something with that. Oh, because it turns out a male soul in a female body can cast male magic, which females can't detect without a man around. So that makes for a good weapon. Okay. Okay. Okay, I figured out the last thing we need to talk about about Godzilla versus King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> There's there's this long running rumor that this movie has two different endings in uh in East Asian versus international territories. Oh right, uh, yeah, that's a good call. Uh, that is actually uh, I w- I bought into this one because apparently it was pre- it was like printed in a like a kaiju fan magazine article forever ago, and everyone's just been quoting it for like forty years. But um, that's not the case at all. Like. It's pretty much the same in both versions, with the, a slight difference in dialogue and the fact that the curtain call monster roar in the Japanese version features both Godzilla and Kong versus just Kong in the American version. So, yep. like, it's pretty clear that King Kong is meant to win in every version of this movie, but also it's kind of a draw. And, in fact, I believe... Toho explicitly says so in one of their guidebooks. Yeah, yeah, like in their marketing materials, they said that uh, like King Kong comes out on top or something. That rumor about there being two different endings of this, that never happened. I don't... Weird weird rumor. It, it's probably like a game of telephone of the fact that there was, was this minor localization change around exactly how the ending is presented. Yes, here we are. Uh, Toho confirmed King Kong was indeed the winner in their English-language film program Toho Films Volume 8, which states as the film's plot synopsis, a spectacular duel is arranged on the summit of Mount Fuji, and King Kong is victorious. Oh, yeah, we also didn't mention the pretty amazing castle miniature that they use for the final minute of the fight here. Uh, there's like a, yeah, it's a a big Japanese pagoda castle, and uh, the suit actors get to, like fight around it and smash the thing it's pretty cool yeah it is uh, a tommy castle specifically it's one of the most famous images in tokusatsu ever i think so you probably know it honestly it's great yeah it's really good but yeah like in the japanese version there's some dialogue where they're like "Eh, godzilla probably survived falling into the ocean uh, also, this is where some of the Mysterians footage gets cut in, where there's, like, they make the earth, the minor tremor that happens at the end of the fight, like, way more apocalyptic in the English version, and it seems like maybe Godzilla blew up or something. So, yeah, only one version, Kong always wins. But, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. We should probably call it before we just talk about random shit for the next hour, too. <laughs> oh, you mean, like, every time Garrett and I record? Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we do that a lot of times when we do Gotcha Man too. That's also true. I'm glad we don't have to change the Gotcha Man theme. I was really worried for a minute there. Oh, Chris, I was never going to use anything by the Nanking denying son of a bitch. Yeah, fuck that guy. I'm so I'm still sad about that. I've known he was a piece of shit ever since that New York Times ad. I remember hearing, like, a reference to it, but it's one of those things that I just was like, ah, I'll look it up later, and I never did, and now I have. I'm gonna be honest, I'm not a huge Dragon Quest fan. (sighs) 
I'm not either. I did really like that movie from last year, and I do have a lot of fond memories of Dragon Warrior Monsters from when I was a kid, but... Oh, there are good games throughout the series. Um, I'm really sad that Builders 2 did in the company that was working on those, because that was great. Really? Oh, yeah, they, I, I was close. playing Builders 1 and I really loved it. Yeah, Builders 2 um, spectacularly bombed. That's why it's kind of broken on a lot of versions still, as they just closed after it release. That's horrifically sad, because that was a really cool series. Yeah, and it's probably why we haven't gotten a third. Wow. Depressing. Mm-hmm. Also, we never got the... I realized that they did remakes of the Dragon Warrior Mon- the Dragon Quest Monsters series, and I, like, we never got those. So that makes me double sad. So just Dragon yeah. Quest, sad, 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 sad. Dragon Quest has, <laughs> with very rare exceptions... Never sold amazingly over here. I know, but like, come on. You did like a big remake? At least give us the chance to try it. Uh, There's a reason Nintendo's had to be the ones who licensed them a lot of the time for the US. I'm surprised that like Atlas or someone isn't willing to do it, but probably... uh, I don't think Square Enix would let them. Yeah, they would probably ask too much. Anyhow, uh, this has been a podcast on the internet. You can find us by dosing us with berry juice from our home islands and then floating us onto Twitter, where I am at BustRider. And I am Chris at WormWithY on Twitter, if you wish to look me up and tell me I'm wrong about anything. And you can, as always, enjoy the show every week on your favorite podcatchers, We're everywhere. If we're not somewhere, let us know. I'll take care of it as the the behind-the-scenes tech. And happy to hear you, where next time we will roar after the credits, but certain revisions of the podcast will only have one of us roaring. Tell us which you like more (laughs) for the next 30 years. Uh, I don't think my roar is very good, so I'm just going to... Leave it with me trailing off, which in many ways is my trademark. That's going to be fun to edit. (laughs) Bye.